You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Second down and two, the handoff to Penny. At the 15, at the 10, at the 5. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop, going to look. Gets hit, goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. This week, we're getting you ready for football on a Thursday. Jed Mueller and John Boyle from Seahawks.com right out of the gates. John, I tell you what, a short week is tough all the way around, but give me the benefits of the Seahawks playing just four days removed from their game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's tough physically, but I do think there's a benefit, especially for a team coming off a loss of just like, look, let's we got to flush that last one quickly. There's no time to focus on it. You immediately turn your attention to a new opponent. I also think having the home Thursday night game is an advantage because on that short week, you're not the team traveling. So that always can maybe give you a little edge there. And we know the Seahawks fans come out in prime time and get rowdy. So hopefully they can help the team out as well. Yeah. And having said that, for the dominance that Seattle has shown in primetime games, they have not had the same outcomes in the last few chances, but they did win a primetime game earlier this year. They beat Denver. That means that they have won one of their last six primetime games. But here's what I like about it. When you look at the opponent, and we're going to dive into this, there are a lot of numbers that favor the 49ers. But I do think it is a benefit to the Seahawks to not give Kyle Shanahan additional time to game plan for this one. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, he's he's so good at what he does. Any more time he has to scheme up that offense is probably not something you, you love to see. But there's a trade-off. I mean, that gives the Seahawks coaching staff a little less time as well. But, I mean, ultimately you're on even footing, so I, I think it's kind of it is what it is, and you who can get ready fastest. Well, and let's be honest. The coaching staff on both sides of this one knows exactly where this matchup is going to be decided. It is going to be decided in the run game. It is the same thing that decided the game on Sunday against Carolina. All you had to do was look at rushing attempts, rushing yards on either side, which then trickled down to time of possession, and it was just a cascading effect. And Bruce Irvin talked about it after the game, about needing just to win the battles one-on-one. And Pete Carroll said he needed to see a little more, too. It wound up that in the fourth quarter, you know, they were able to run the ball, fall forward, and keep making their yards. We didn't knock them back enough to get off, you know, and and, uh, I thought that they finished more physically than we did in that game, and we have to do something about that, and and, uh, that's what they're talking about. Yeah, you know, for for the middle section of that game, you felt like, okay, they're settling in. It it was a bad start. They – you gave up a long drive followed by a turnover and you got in a big hole early, but then you look at kind of that middle second, third quarter, the defense settled in, the offense was getting them back in it. And you felt like, okay, they're going to come back and get this game. And then to that point of the fourth quarter, there's just a couple of really disheartening drives, most notably that last touchdown drive where Carolina, you knew they wanted to run it. They knew that. And they just ran it down your throat for a touchdown. They get the ball back. Their first two carries on the next drive, I think, were like 10, 11-yard runs. So that's tough when when you know a team's trying to just pound it on you and they succeed on it. That's tough for a defense. Well, and to be fair at that point, the Seahawks' defense was playing shorthanded. Yeah. And on that final drive, Carolina pushed their time of possession to 39 minutes. That's ridiculous. That's tough on a defense. They had 46 rush attempts, 72 plays. I mean, when you can't get off the field, that causes problems. And, you know... 
the offense ran out of time and, and there were some missed opportunities in there and, and not the best game from Geno Smith. How much of a difference did it make without Al Woods in the entire second half of that game and Shelby, and Shelby yeah. Harris being sick and I mean, on game day? That's a that's a huge deal. Shelby Harris has been you know really solid player all year for you. He's a good run defender, stout guy on the edge there, you know, the at the defensive end spot. And then Al Woods is probably your best run stuffing guy in the middle of that line. And they were doing some different things with him as Pete Carroll's reference. They had him kind of playing that red Bryant yeah. five technique role. Um, so to be without both those guys for half the game and you look at the, the 145 of those rushing yards for the Panthers came in the second half. So I'm not saying the Seahawks would have just dominated the second half and won that game easily, but I think it maybe could have had a different outcome if you had one or both of those guys out there. Well, and a lot of those rushing yards were also yards after contact, yeah. which, you know, I, there's a couple of different things. They're absolutely the style of running of Dante Foreman. That makes a difference. But you do have some lighter guys that are coming up in the box that are trying to make tackles that, you know, they, they just don't have the same stoutness that you might see a couple years in when they get into the weight room and they get more physical with this. I'm thinking of Tariq Woolen. Michael Jackson was great in coverage, but yet couldn't quite stop them at the point of contact on that one. So I do think that guys are going to get a little bit better. I also thought that this comment from Jordan Brooks was interesting after the game where he said, we brought this on ourselves. Once we get tired, we give in. Yeah, I, I did see that. I didn't hear him say it, but I saw the quote on the quote sheet, and that is that's an interesting, seemingly pretty, pretty honest comment. Something you don't hear from players very often. So that's that's something they got to address. Well, and it's something that Michael Bumpus addressed when we had finished post game interviews and we were having a conversation on Sunday after the game. You are hearing the same message from everybody across the board, particularly on defense. It's not like this is an issue that is, you know, one week it's this and the next week it's that and there's six different things you're trying to fix. They're pretty much on the same page when it comes to what the problem is. Now it just comes to stopping it. And this week it does not get any easier when you've got a team that wants to run the ball. And last time out, San Francisco ran for over 100 yards. They didn't even have Christian McCaffrey, and now he's a difference maker. He can do it all. Um, the normal, you know, being the backfield stuff, two-back, one-back stuff is is just, you know, nothing for him, nothing new for him. But they can deploy him out, whether they're putting him in motion or they shift him out and line him up outside. Uh, he caught a touchdown pass as an outside receiver, you know, last week. Um, and he's in the slot quite a bit, too. So they're balancing out the... Uh, targets and runs with him to, to really make you have to defend him all over the field. He's a f fantastic football player, and uh, he really makes the most of his opportunities. He, he really cashes in, kind of gets every inch that's available to him. Yeah, to your point, the, the Niners rushed for 189 yards against the Seahawks in Week 2, and that's without McCaffrey. You know, both teams are a lot different since then, you know, good and bad, so I don't think you can necessarily look at that and just predict the same thing across the board, but... It's four weeks now this run defense hasn't been able to get going, and this is one of the most dangerous rushing attacks you're going to see all year. They're coming off 209 rushing yards against a good Tampa Bay defense. I mean, we saw it when the Seahawks played Tampa Bay. That's a tough defense. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, there's a lot that needs – I don't think you can just fix everything and come out and have a dominant effort, but you do, you got to clean it up and keep those numbers down a little bit this week. Well, and again, going back to the previous week, Clint Hurt wanted to see those rushing attempts closer to 20. You've got teams that are going over 35 and 40 rushing attempts in each of the last four weeks. Last week, the 49ers, 36 rushing attempts against Tampa. They ended up scoring three rushing touchdowns, and McCaffrey had his best day as a running back with 119 yards on the ground. 
But the other part of this equation is Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, who I think you were talking, somebody was talking to Pete about this one earlier this week. You would think that maybe they are more conservative with their now third starting quarterback of the year, but that's not what we've seen. They threw the heck out of the football uh, last week. It was the first time out, and then again this week, and and uh, displaying, you know, demonstrating that they trust him. I mean, you can't you can't see it any other way. They trust the guy, and what a remarkable amount of improvement he must have made to put himself in that position with so little and limited playing time. You know, he must be a terrific practice player and all that. Uh, I think it really speaks to. Uh, uh, Kyle and, and running the offense and because he's not going to take chances and, and be risk taking with the guy he's doing what the guy can do and uh, he's done it really well it's a really impressive start we, we've heard Pete Carroll praise Kyle Shannon a couple times this week and I think this is a reflection of one of the things Pete really loves about football and about coaching of he doesn't want a team to be about one guy no matter how good the quarterback is and a big part of his wanting to be balanced wanting to play complementary football of offense defense special teams is always he wants to be able to win even if you're missing the key guy or you know you don't have everything going. And that's what the 49ers have really been able to do for multiple years now, but especially this year. They're banged up. They're missing guys. They're on, as you said, their third quarterback, and Purdy's getting the job done. And you know, give Purdy plenty of credit for that. He's doing a lot too, but I think that reflects on the team around him and the coaching as well. Absolutely. And you do have guys like McCaffrey and Kittle and Juszczyk and Debo Samuel will not be playing as he is dealing with an ankle sprain. The 49ers expect to get him back before the end of the regular season. That news coming out just this week that perhaps those injuries not as bad as they looked when he was carted off the field. I went back and I looked at Brock Purdy's numbers for the last couple of weeks and I thought it was interesting because if you just look at last week's game, he attempted 21 passes, 16 completions, and I think, well, that's not really throwing the ball all over the the yard but why do you have to with McCaffrey mm-hmm. look at the previous week when he came in for Jimmy G when he got hurt did you look at those numbers uh not recently 37 passing lot, yeah. attempts yeah 37 passing attempts 25 completions now just over 200 yards so I don't know that we're looking at deep shots down the field but I also don't know that that was ever the 49ers formula it's stuff that's in the middle of the field that goes for extra yards after a catch yeah well and that also kind of reflects on something Pete Carroll's talking about is like the the style of the game the way it's going that game two weeks ago they had to throw it a little more and it's funny you know Pete Carroll's always talks so much about finish and doesn't matter how you start it's how you finish which is true but then he's also brought up the point this week of like look we got to get ahead if teams know they're just going to try to pound it on you and that's where you get these you know 30 some 40 some carries is in pretty much all these games except maybe the Rams game you've been behind a decent amount and then teams can just say you know what we're going to run it till you stop us if you can get ahead, you don't have a turnover early, and you know maybe make Purdy come out and throw more on the road, I think that could help a lot. Well, and there's a couple of things here. Purdy has not gone on the road and started a game yet. This is a challenging place to play, especially with the 12s, especially with a primetime game. Purdy also strained his oblique early in the game last week against Tampa, which didn't seem to affect his results by the end of the game. But John, you and I both know that oblique injuries, they are tough. They are tough for anybody who needs to throw a ball. Adrenaline tends to take over during the game. It could affect him in his ability on Thursday. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we don't know yet you know, what that status, what his status will be. And those injuries are, they're weird injuries that, you know, I think baseball fans know more about them than football fans because it's such a concern for a baseball player. But it, you know, it, to your point, throwing is going to be challenging if he's hurting there. So, We'll see how the how the week goes. The short week certainly doesn't help him any. But get back to our original point about this team and the running game and the defense. 
I, you know, it's not a situation to me of like, oh, if he's playing hurt or if he's unavailable, all of a sudden they look way more beatable or anything like that. No, no. And they still have playmakers. And look, having those that two back system, that's been the problem for the Seahawks all year long. Mm -hmm. It's anytime you're running those two backs and and you have to figure out how to stop varying styles and knowing that they're just going to punish you on that one. I also think starting faster. This is one of the things that I can't remember if you were on the sidelines when I said this. I kind of would like to see Seattle lose the toss on Thursday. Just come out on offense. and Yes. Go. And I realize I can't control what the Niners would pick, but we know that if Seattle defers. wins the toss, <laughs> yeah. they're going to defer. I love having the ball coming out of halftime, but what I really want is a chance for the offense to score those early points. All right. Well, that's, yeah, maybe that's the strategy is throw, can you throw the coin toss? Is that something can, you yeah. We don't even joke about that. How about if we just say, let's switch up the strategy <laughs> with the coin toss and see if it produces some different results. When we talk about the run game, you also got to talk about the guys up front. And for so many weeks, we have praised the rookie tackles and what they have been able to do. And I tell you what, they have had zero breaks when it comes yeah. to dealing with pass rushers. This week, you've got Bosa. Armstead is back after missing several weeks with a foot in an ankle injury. This is a tough San Francisco defense for so many reasons. And it's, you know, the point in the year where everybody gets a little bit uh, beat down, including right tackle A. Lucas. First off, you know, he he, uh, he he was hurt last week, you know. He hurt his elbow pretty, you know, pretty significantly, but said from the very start, he said, I'm going to make it. I'll be all right. I'll make it to the game and I'll play, you know, and, you know, kind of gave you a, a real veteran perspective and, and response. And then he did it, you know, and he played well and they, they we protected the quarterback well against these guys and both tackles did a good job. Abe has been, um, he, he's been a real surprise that he's been so steady and so, uh, so mature about handling what's going on. So um, I can understand that he's, you know, he's fired up about being, you know, grew up here, you know, seeing a Thursday night game here at, at the stadium and, and all that will be, uh, I'm sure it'd be a big thrill for him. Yeah, I mean, it's we sometimes forget how much these guys are able to play through because we look at you look at the injury report, and then if the guy's not listed as you know questionable, doubtful, whatever on Friday, you kind of forget. Oh, he's hurt. But like, I mean, we all saw him this week. He looked like he he wore what to me would be a knee brace on his elbow all week long. <laughs> it's true. And you know, he just powered through it. And the guys that missed a snap all season, he's been not just a really good player in terms of handling all these elite pass rushers, but he's tough. He's played through kind of all the typical things an offensive lineman has to deal with and, and handle it very well. Well, and I will tell you that his demeanor on the sideline, like he is the one that I don't want to piss off in that group. Yeah. Like there's a lot of tough guys, but he is the one where I do not want to see him with all the emotions. And yet when he comes off, and you know that these guys have just, you know, they, they've tweaked something. He sits there for a second, and then there's a smile on his face when he knows that he's going back out there to play. You mm -hmm. know, they, this is, it's a guy who loves what he's doing. He's been so good. And, uh, and yet moving forward for the, like literally moving forward for these guys is going to be important to get that run game going. Abe Lucas, a Washington State product, Charles Cross out of uh, Mississippi. State. State. I was, I, I hesitated for You're just a second. You're going to get a phone call from KJ, right? If I know. You that. I know. That's why I was waiting for you to fill it in. My point being both of them playing in air raid systems, that system made popular and made possible because of Mike Leach, the legendary coach who passed away this week from a massive heart attack. Our thoughts and prayers certainly go out to his family. And John, I, it, this is a loss in football, but it's a loss for a lot of people 
the influence that he had as a coach, boy, that spans a lot, a lot of teams and leagues and and levels. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy that just affected so much of how modern football is played with, with the air raid spread offenses he does. You know, you can look at all the different coaches. Cliff Kinsbury is one of them that, you know, he put out statements today about how he wouldn't be who he is and where he is right now without Mike Leach. You know, got it done on, you know, different conferences, different levels. And then, as everybody knows, just one of the truly unique characters in football. So, sad day for for all the fans of Washington State and Mississippi State and going back to even Texas Tech days. So, it's a tough one. He made you think about the game differently. For sure. Which I could absolutely appreciate. Right now, let's pause for a word from our presenting sponsor. The best stories aren't the ones you're told. They're the ones you live. Meeting people in person. Facing challenges face-to-face. Getting out of your hometown and your comfort zone. Delta knows how important it is to see a different point of view from a different point of view. So for those who want their own story to tell, Delta Airlines has a world full of places to start. Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Well, the Seahawks have just one road trip on the regular season left. But, John, that means that there could be some 12s that are traveling into Seattle for one of these final games in December. Where would you send them to? Well, do we know the weather? You know, that vision of Seattle one, this time of year is, I know. is tricky. I, well, no, look, it gets you in the holiday spirit. Let's just true. say that. I mean, it's the most cliche answer, but going to the market is great. I lived here my whole life, and I still like going there, even though it's thought of as a tourist thing. So go down, do that. You know, there's if the weather's good and you want to get out in nature, we got plenty of that available to you. Heck, bring your skis. It's been dumping in the mountains. If you're a skier, you can get some skiing in on Saturday before the game. Right, and then end up in the hospital with a torn ACL. No. John, what are you doing? No. Why are you telling people to do this? Okay, how about I would some, say sledding. How about a safer activity, which is also great for Seattle, is go visit a local brewery. Oh. We know we know that that's a oh. popular one for me. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I would say wineries. <laughs> Ferry rides. I think a ferry ferry. ride. A ferry ride to Bainbridge, and you don't need a car to do that. You walk on the ferry, walk right off, some good restaurants over there. That's a great day trip. In fact, I told Derek Young to take his family there. They were looking for something that was very Seattle. The other thing I recommend, the underground tour. I haven't done that in so long. If you want the history of Seattle from a truly comical but true standpoint, go on the underground tour. And you stay underground most of the time, so it doesn't matter if it's raining. I like it. That's what I would say. Yeah. So just, you know, travel advice if you're planning to come into Seattle and message John for brewery recommendations. Oh, message I, I will me give you for, a long list. For uh, winery recommendations. We can help you with that. Here's what we're going to help you with right now. Two things you need to see for a Seahawks win on Thursday, John. We touched about touched on this earlier, but get off to a good start. Again, you know, finishing matters, but the way teams keep running on the ball, like make the 49ers play from behind. And secondly, I, I know I've said this a bunch of times, but take care of the football. Seahawks have not, still not had a turnover-free game. That was Geno's first two-interception game. We can debate the validity of that second I'm interception not, I didn't all even we touch want, it today because I knew it was going to make us both mad. You're a former official of defending your kind. I, can't, I, can't, I will not. <laughs> I will not defend that anything that on bad. that. No. But yeah, I, okay. So, But even if we throw that one out, this team's been turning the ball over. Not a ton, but more than I'd like to see. And... In a game that, you know, you're facing a really good opponent, a really good defense, I think if you could 
get through this game without a turnover, that would go a long ways. Well, and the 49ers have 14 interceptions. That's tied for the second most in the NFL. So I am right there with you on that one. I'm right there with you on jumping out to the early lead. As I said, maybe losing the coin toss. Here's what else I'd like to see. Nice kickoff returns from Iggy again. That was a huge, I'm waiting for you to do the big story on him so we can talk about that next week. But I love it. Good one back there. That was amazing. So let's do that, get field position working in our favor, and see how the 12s can help bring some noise on Thursday night. Hopefully, we'll be talking about a win against the division rivals next week because that will be the next episode of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.